Uh, God, thank you that we're here today. Thank you that we can um, gather and learn more about you. Um, thank you for community and, and togetherness and unity under you. Lord, I just pray that you go before me, you guide my words, and, and uh, that you, what, what you have to say through me is something that people can learn from and, and gain from. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Gleb, you have to stick with me because I might tell you to change the slides at points. All right. Um, so, look, I'm going to talk about servant-heartedness, servanthood, having a servant heart. Um, I think I got a servant heart award in year four from Portside for, I'm not really sure. So I think I'm qualified to talk about it. Um, no, I, 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 was really, I was really enjoying digging into the word and, and figuring out what exactly servant-heartedness means. So um, I thought I'd throw it to you guys first. When you think of servant-heartedness, what comes to mind? Um, just yell out. If you, when you think of servanthood, servant-heartedness, what are some of the qualities that that is? What is it? Giving, Giving? yeah. Sorry? Selflessness? Mary? Lay his life down. Jesus laid his life down. Work? Yeah. He's trying to diversify the group, aren't you? <laughs> Did we have one over here? Yeah. Giving? Giving's a great one. Eric? Sacrifice? That's good. That's good. Love? Love is a great one. So these are some great points. Um, these are some great, um, yeah, qualities of what servanthood is. And I think... Um, a key point is giving up your own will to serve another's. Um, I think it's a good way to summarize it. And I think in my own words, I, I wrote something as well. Um, a nature or posture of waiting on the Lord um, or others with the fruits of the Spirit given to you by God. Um, and that's a bit wordy. So giving up your own will to serve others is, is good enough. But the idea of waiting, like a waiter waits on a table, that's the same root as servant-heartedness or, or, the, or the word servant in the Bible. Um, and I just want to point out at the start of this message, before I dig into it, um, servant-heartedness is not only for your church role or your ministry or your work or your leadership position. It's an everyday posture. It's a nature that anyone can carry and in their support of others. So in my time as a Christian, servant-heartedness and washing feet, which not, no one said, but the story of Jesus washing the feet, have been used almost interchangeably. And it makes sense when you serve something or someone, you put their needs above yours, you wash their feet without any expectation of repayment. Um, but I think in today's church, we bring, sometimes we bring the world's interpretation of serving. It's a bit, of, bit transactional, a bit give-take, and it's not quite the same. Um, so to understand what washing the feet of others looks like, I think we first have to understand Jesus' meaning behind the washing behind washing the feet of his disciples and so we're going to read John 13 1 to 17 I've got the slides I think it's three but I'm just going to read it out read along with me at the back but um, let's read it was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love this. Um, this is potentially Jesus' final message to his disciples. It's the Last Supper. He gets taken away very soon after this. Um, and he knows this. So he makes one thing clear moving forward. One thing clear, that potentially one of the most important things that Jesus said to his disciples. And it's, it's that the gospel of Jesus is not one of status of pride, of power over others. The gospel of Jesus is one of servanthood, one of selflessness, of generosity and actively putting others ahead of yourself. The, the messenger is no greater than the one who sent him. Let's read Matthew 20, 25 to 28. I'll have the slide for that as well, which took place during an argument about who is the greatest among the disciples. And it was just before the Last Supper as well. But Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was called to serve. And as children of God, we are called to take off our cloak of pride, fall to our knees and love others. So I guess how do we serve is the question. And I'll run through a few points that might be helpful, but um, just some ideas. But in servanthood, the spotlight is no longer ours. Um, it's no longer about I or you or us. Um, the world no longer revolves around us. God is the main character of the story, and we get to be a part of his beautiful call to enjoy joy and justice to pursue these things and peace and wholeness, not just for us, but for our communities and, and the whole of creation. We get to share in his goodness, his table, his, his banquet with this posture of servanthood, which is just awesome. Um, I know in youth ministry, there's a, there's a common like, phrase that I've had to that I've had to change. I've been serving as the youth coordinator, youth pastor role for, this is my third year now. And I, I, I used to say, like, oh, I, I run the youth group. And I still say it sometimes. Um, you can call me out for it if I do. But this idea of like, yeah, I'm the leader of the youth group. or I run the youth group. And 
the reality is I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm serving God. I'm, serv- I'm serving God, and through that, I'm serving young people, and that's the ministry. Like, it's not, um, I can't take the credit. I can't take um, the, yeah, all the, all the plaudits or anything like that. It's not me. I'm, I'm serving God, um, and the spotlight is not mine. And that's why we don't get upset at ungratefulness. When people aren't grateful for our servant, like when we help someone or when we do something great for others, we don't, um, we don't get upset when people don't return the favor or people don't appreciate the, the servanthood that you, you, you provide them, the, um, the works that you might give them because we're still serving God. We know that God is pleased with what we do and they might not see that, but that's okay. Um, it's, it's just part of like knowing that we've served God, we've done our best and, um, and he will work with what happens after that. But we can know that, that we serve God first. So it's why John the Baptist, who had drawn massive crowds while baptizing, um, was like so joyful, like jubilant, when Jesus began baptizing and John was losing his followers left, right and center. Like John was a popular guy just before Jesus came. He, was, um, he had a massive crowd of followers who were like, um, re- like remarked at his... Um, I guess what's the, the word for the word for someone who comes before a, a prophet? He was like he was the next big thing, and everyone was so excited. But when Jesus came, John was losing his ministry. He was losing his followers left, right, and center. Imagine the scene to get today if a pastor began losing his flock. Like it would it would be a big deal, and people would be like, "Oh my gosh, this guy's a fraud! Like this guy's not not legit." Um, but John says this in John three twenty seven to thirty, and it's I've got the slide up as well. But no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew the crowds never belonged to him. You don't deserve the credit for these servant-hearted acts, but in servanthood you should always deflect that spotlight to the king you should always deflect to God it's not in our power but it's in his and we don't have like to be honest you think of the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience I know as a human I'm not very patient sometimes I know these qualities don't come from my inner being they come from God and there's we know that we have to rely on him to 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 be servant-hearted um and I think looking at um looking at this idea of credit and this idea of title and honor, like we shouldn't, of course, we shouldn't be given title and honor for, for our deeds. Like we should be deflecting that to God. And it's really interesting because in the early church, these titles like deacon and minister and pastor, which are now titles of rank, um, they literally, like deacon, diakonos is the Greek word, literally means servant, um, using the very same word in Matthew twenty twenty six, um, which is, of course, I'll go back, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. That's the exact same root word. They've taken it from what Jesus said. And remember, Jesus repeats himself in the very next verse. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And the Greek word for that is doulos. This isn't quite, I've got more Greek coming. But um, <laughs> the, the Greek word for slave is doulos. One who gives himself up wholly to another's will. Like, holy, um, like, 
not the not holy like sanctified, but like holy, like whole, like your whole being is given to another's will. That's what the call is if if you want to be first among those around you. You're not getting any credit when you're a slave. You're not getting any like the the what you get is like the kingdom of heaven, which is the most amazing thing. But it's a massive call. Jesus flips the script and it's just so radically in contrast to what we learn in society today. It's so, so different. And um, that's why it's difficult because the world teaches us something else and, and sin teaches us something else. And it's, it just requires God's love all the more. And I guess that's my second point. Um, to be servant-hearted, we need our selfish nature to be actively and continuously overwhelmed by God's love. Um, just like Peter, our self-seeking nature and pride that these days almost feels natural um, needs God's spirit of self-sacrifice and love to wash over us continually. Francis Chan puts it simply, and I've got his quote as a slide as well. Um, the crux of it, I believe, is realizing that being filled with the spirit is not a one-time act. Being filled with the Spirit is not limited to the day we first meet Christ. Instead, throughout Scripture, we read of a relationship that calls us into active pursuit of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. When you first believe, you're accepting God into your heart and um, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But we can be continually filled with the Spirit as we pursue Him again and again. Um, I know this is Christianity 101, but... This idea really comes to life in the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Um, in today's Greek of the Week, um, we're looking at John 13.10, where he says, the one who bathed, this is from the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, um, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now, um, it, I've got a slide up. It just has a couple of the, verse, the, couple of the words there, but the word bathe um, is luo, uh, luo, everyone say luo. Luo. Um, Gleb, it's just the next slide. Um, I do have a clicker here as well. I could probably just use it. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I don't like using it. It's like <laughs> keeping you on your toes. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, now I can't use it. <laughs> I didn't want it. I didn't want it anyway. Um, the word bathe, in the first part of that verse, the one who is bathed, the Greek word is luo, to bathe the whole person. And then you've got wash. The one who was bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Um, so I guess, yeah, does, does not need to wash except for his feet. So implying he ne- like the wa- feet need to be washed. The Greek word for that is nipto. Everyone say nipto. nipto. All right. And that is meaning to cleanse, especially the hands or the feet or the face. So now these words should not be confused with other words, pluno, which means to wash or clean garments. That's a different word. Or baptisma, which is the word for water immersion baptism. That's not what this is talking about, even though the symbolism is similar. Um, Luo is not suggesting a water baptism, but a spiritual cleansing of sin of the whole body. While nipto symbolizes the ongoing shaping and cleansing of parts of our being that takes place in an active relationship with Christ. Luo symbolizes justification, being made right with God. Nipto symbolizes sanctification, our gradual journey of growing in righteousness. Um, I'll, I'll say that just like, again, Luo symbolizes being made right with God. Nipto 
symbolizes our gradual journey of growing in righteousness. And I think it's really important in the story of servanthood that Jesus shows to understand the symbolism that he also provides in that moment. Um, and I think the really cool thing, if this is an ongoing practice, if Nipto is an ongoing practice, it also, Jesus' washing of his disciples' feet actually symbolizes Christ's continual servanthood to humanity and his dedication to see us free from sin for eternity. Like he's, he's washing our feet again and again. Um, God, with his self-sacrifice and love, like washes our feet daily. And though we have made our commitment to Christ, we've been bathed, as the scripture puts it, we're still pretty hopeless at this whole following Christ thing. And we're still helplessly, helplessly in need of his sustenance daily. Um, incredibly, the Holy Spirit is there with us in every moment, washing our feet when we allow him to. Um, I'm just going to read something that I wrote um, to just imagine this scene of, of Jesus washing our feet daily and washing our feet. So close your eyes, um, still your heart, get rid of distractions, put your phone away, I don't know. Um, it's not youth, so they don't have their phones out. So, um, and let your minds imagine yourself in this scene. Imagine the church building is set up like pop-up kitchen. It's bustling, the kids' table is rowdy as ever, but it's almost dinner time and people have taken their seats. Unexpectedly, Jesus walks into the room. He's dressed pretty much like how you imagined him, Jewish robes and garments, though his sandals look surprisingly like Birkenstocks. But it's, un it's unmistakably the Son of God. There's holes in his hands and a reverence fills the room. He takes a seat at your table, right next to you. Perhaps you're thinking of something to say. Perhaps you just want a hug. There'll be a time for that. Jesus calls Juanita over and asks her to get a basin and a couple of towels. She brings one of those silver ice buckets you can get from Bunnings for $15 and a bunch of tea towels. No one around him is intruding, but they're all watching. After meeting everyone on the table, Jesus takes off his outer robe, which feels important, and wraps a tea towel around his arm, kneels to the ground, and gestures at you to take off your shoes and put your feet in the bowl. You've been wearing shoes since 8.30 in the morning, and you know that once your shoes and socks come off, it won't smell good. That water will go brown quickly, and the rest of the table will be able to smell it. Jesus, seriously? You may sheepishly ask. He responds, as the scriptures say, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. That might not be enough for some of you who respond, Jesus, really, you don't need to wash my feet. I know you love me. Jesus replies, as it is said, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Finally, it clicks in your head. There's more to this than just cleaning my feet. You take off your shoes and socks and put your feet in the bowl. Once Jesus is finished, he dries your feet and moves to the next person on your table. He washes each person's feet with a ridiculous humility, an outrageous humility. It's almost surreal. He shows no resentment for your many sins against him, only grace and love. Once Jesus is finished, he didn't sit there for ages. He's omnipresent and does each table simultaneously. Um, 
Once Jesus is finished, he rises to his feet and puts on his cloak. At this point, the room is awash with awe and tears. Jesus' thoughtfulness is just shown to so many people. Matt passes in the mic. Do you know what I have done to you? If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. I am following my father's will, and you will be blessed if you do the same. Now hold that image, letting God into every part of your life, taking off your shoes and socks to reveal the mess underneath. You can open your eyes now, but hold the image. Um, A mess that has been revealed, a mess that you might be deliberately looking past. Maybe the shoes are on 24-7 because you're afraid of what you might find underneath. But Jesus approaches us with so much grace and humility and a deep, deep love. I want to share the table with us, the banquet with us. And he also approaches with a deep truth. Unless I wash you, you have no share in me. We have to allow Jesus' love to continually clean us and shape us. And from this place of love, then we can love others, making this world a better place, bringing about glimpses of what the kingdom of heaven will look like. My final point is to be servant-hearted is to accept Jesus' love for us and then reflect it. Each time we take off our outer robe of inconvenience, of busyness, of whatever is distracting you from being with, serving someone, being with someone, when we take off that outer robe and generously kneel down to help someone, we're not just serving them, but serving God who washes our feet first. If we are worthy of this great love, then surely we ought to take this love and let it impact the communities that need him most. Love is our saviour and our purpose. Of course, we can't cleanse people's sin with our love. Only God can do that. But we can approach serving with the same outlook and attitude of Jesus Christ. Agape love, generosity, gentleness, humility, patience, qualities that can only come from the God we draw our strength from. Now, of course, this is by no means easy. We all struggle with this. Servanthood is hard. Loving others is hard. But we're called to follow Christ's actions. Um, So it's a responsibility, not just to shift our time, money and resources, but to shift our hearts, to shift our posture. And I might get Emma to just come up and play. Um, But look, I don't have a a five-part program of unlocking your servant-hearted ability, but thankfully God offers a framework far better and it's so much simpler and you don't have to complicate things. If you're struggling to love others, go back to your source. Go back to Jesus. Ask for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Make it a priority. Servant-heartedness is a reflection of Jesus. We can serve only when we let Jesus wash our feet. And this is not always easy. Receiving God's love is often more difficult than giving it. It's hard to put your feet in the bowl. 
I saw an amazing image on Instagram this week of, of, of God serving like a, a symbol of, of Jesus washing the feet of someone who's just a mess. And, and Jesus, doesn't, Jesus doesn't sit on the other side of the bowl. He sits next to you. He's with you. It's the necessary first step of that process. It's, it's, he's with you, he's guiding you, he's holding you. And he knows that it's not easy to take your shoes off and put your feet in the bowl. But he so wants you to do it as well. But that, that question, how can we expect to love and serve others if we can't allow God to love and serve us? You can't love from an empty pit. It's his love that enables us to support others, to go the extra mile with the person in need. It's never our own ability. Maybe it's vice versa and you're battling sin and pride. Um, maybe you, you, you can love others, but you just struggle with the other aspect of, of, of sin and pride and, and taking the credit or, or you just there's a lack of humility. Who knows? But go back to the source and take every opportunity to humble yourself and love others. Like Dad said last week, the greatest way to overcome sin is to love others over yourself. Um, you can know that every time you turn to God for strength and let go of your own way, you're allowing God to renew your mind and change the way you think. Um, my final slide, Gleb, it's Romans 12.2, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Like, good and pleasing and perfect. That's, our, that's what God has an offer for us if we, if we accept his will, if we let him renew our minds, let, step away from pride and, and sinfulness and seek him out. I don't know, what else we can ask for? That's amazing. And I think ultimately, servant, servanthood, serving is not a chore. Anyone who served others for a considerable amount of time knows the immense joy and gratitude they feel when they do so. It's an amazing feeling when, when someone accepts your servanthood, when someone accepts your, your heart, which is of course God's heart. But that feeling is incredible. Um, as we know, there will be suffering. Maybe you won't get beheaded like John the Baptist, but difficulties will come. But you can know that there's abundant joy and peace and wholeness to be had. There's a banquet to share in. That's Jesus' way. So I just want to take this moment as an opportunity to turn to God for strength and let go of our own ways and chase after him who will equip us to serve others, to love others, to show his love to everyone around us because that's, that's our mandate, that's our call. So I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. So I'll ask the band to come back up. But let's call on the Holy Spirit. Let's renew our desire to let God be the priority of our life, to let God shape the priorities of our life and seek him afresh today I don't know where you're at maybe you will be maybe you're struggling maybe you're not maybe you, there's an opportunity to serve that's just 
going to come up soon. Maybe there's, you've been serving in different roles for years and you're tired and, and weary. God wants to fill you afresh. Um, maybe for the first time. But he wants to wash our feet. And he wants to show us how to do the same. So let's close our eyes. We're going to pray and then we'll worship. And feel free to stand. Feel free to interact however you want. But thank you, God, for today. Thank you that we're united here. Thank you that you love us and, and you show us such a perfect example of your love in the Gospels, Lord, in washing the disciples' feet. I just pray that, that we can try and do the same. I pray that in our attempts to do the same, that we can seek you out, that we can ask for your fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we can ask for you to make us whole and, and to give us that strength that only you can give us, Lord, that love, that gentleness, that generosity, that, that peace, that patience, Lord, these fruits of the Holy Spirit that come from you alone. Lord, let us give up our own will to serve yours. We ask you these things in your name.